Hey crew, this is the Active Oakland Podcast. We wanted to start with a quick question. Are you an active individual in the Bay Area who prioritizes their fitness and wants to enjoy a pain-free and healthy lifestyle? Are you the kind of person who finds great fulfillment in being active, whether that's playing sports, running marathons, hitting lifting PRs, or being the weekend warrior? If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. We are here to provide you with the tools to stay active for life. The Active Oakland Podcast is sponsored by ProKinetics Physical Therapy and Performance. At ProKinetics, we help active adults and athletes in the Oakland and surrounding Bay Area get back to workouts and sports they enjoy without surgery, stopping activities they love, or relying on pain medicine. We're going to achieve this goal by focusing on four key pillars of health. These pillars are movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. We want to teach you how to become more resilient individuals, how to move better and optimize our bodies to live better for life. So head over to ProConnectsRehab.com to see how we can help you get back to your active lifestyle. All right, crew, welcome to episode number six of the Active Oakland podcast. Today, we are very fortunate to have Brad Stolberg on. He's a writer, speaker, author, coaches on health and um, science of human performance. And he wrote the book, Peak Performance. So, Brad, if you could, could you just kind of give us a little intro about yourself? For sure. So you did a pretty good job. I, <laughs> I don't have much to add, but um, I, as Mike said, I, I write and coach on the intersection of uh, health performance and well-being. I've got two books, one called Peak Performance. The, the kind of younger child is The Passion Paradox got an actual younger child. His name is Theo. Um, and then I also have a regular column at Outside Magazine called Do It Better, where I explore these topics. And I, um, I write essays for some larger publications every once in a while too. And then my coaching practice is primarily executives, entrepreneurs, and physicians. And I'm coaching them much more on their emotional and psychological skills, not so much physical, although as will probably come out in, in this show, I really don't like to separate them because I think it's a mind-body system. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to, to really work at that from both angles. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And then Brad, if you could give like a, a little bit of background about how you got here and what led you to, to doing all this, that'd be awesome. Outside of undergraduate school, I took a job. This is, let's see, like 13 years ago almost now. I'm dating myself. But I took a job at McKinsey & Company, which is uh, a pretty prestigious, at least out in the world, and it was a good place to work, prestigious consulting firm that is really known for grinding their consultants, especially their young ones. And I got burnt out pretty badly after spending about two years there. And my performance was really solid, but it wasn't going to be sustainable. And I started suffering both emotional and physical consequences of that. And I was super fortunate that I, I had the opportunity to go pivot and study public health at the University of Michigan. So I went to get a graduate degree from the University of Michigan School of Public Health. And around the same time, I was getting very much into uh, running, cycling, and swimming, so triathlon. 
And at public health school, I realized that so much of the system here in the States anyways, is really focused on sick care, not so much health care. And I had this budding interest in how can we combine the things that, you know, are more thought about in a performance realm with actual health. Uh, and, and that set me off on this path as a researcher and writer covering these topics. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's then the, awesome. Co- the, the coaching came a little bit later, to be honest. So the, the coaching was an outcome of the research and writing. So people had read my work and asked me if I coach. And for a while I said no. And then I said, okay, like I'm willing to give this a shot. And that practice has been ongoing for about four years now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I read your, I read your book, Peak Performance long before I even met you. Um, and, and I just yeah, saw you did right. such a, yeah, you did such a good job of, you know, I related to it so well because I was, I did athletics and sports when I was younger and there's, you're, you're yeah. right. In that book that you talked about, there's such a big overlap between, you know, athletic performance and then also transitioning that into everyday life. So, um, yeah, if you want to kind of talk about, you know, like, how there's overlaps to that and kind of just give a recap of, you know, a broad overview of what peak performance is. I think it's such a awesome met, uh, message and, and whatnot too. So yeah, if you could just kind of bridge that, that would be awesome. I like to think about peak performance as performing at your best in a sustainable way and feeling good while you do it. So to me, peak performance is not a one-time event. It's not this sort of breakthrough that happens and then fades away. It is a path that you stay on and um, you get off sometimes and then you get back on. So in, in terms of the, the ingredients, the three big themes that the book unpacked, and these are themes that are supported by both the latest cutting-edge science both physiological science, psychological science, cognitive science, philosophy, really across domains of research, and then also just timeless wisdom in in the practice of elite individuals. So these principles are, I'll name them real quick, and then maybe we'll discuss them in turn. The first is this notion that stress plus rest equals growth. The second is the importance of your surroundings. So we like to think that we are in control of our performance, but while we have some control, the environment that we operate in has an enormous impact and one that often gets overlooked. And then the third big theme is on motivation, and particularly the difference between purpose-driven or internal motivation and external motivation. Sure. So awesome. should I start with stress plus rest equals growth? Yeah, because that's a big thing, especially in the Bay Area. You know, I feel like Bay Area, just a lot of times people are just, just going a mile a minute. Everybody is working so hard and putting in so many hours that um, we just don't get enough rest. And I don't just mean by sleep, there's other modes of, of rest too. So if you want to kind of expand on that, that would be awesome. All right. So in, in, in exercise science, there's this concept and I'll start here because it's the most simple and then it gets more complex when you take it outside of, of exercise science, but in exercise science, there's a concept called progressive overload. Sometimes it's also referred to periodization. And what that states is that in order to make a muscle or a system in the body bigger or stronger, you have to stress it by applying some sort of stimulus that challenges it, and then you have to give it time to rest and recover. And if you apply way too much of a stimulus, way too much of a stress, you go and you totally crush yourself in the gym, you're liable to get injured. 
if not physically, then emotionally, you lose motivation because it sucks. The flip side is also true. If you go to the gym and you pick up a one pound weight, you could sit there and lift it all day and nothing's going to happen because there's no actual stimulus. So the first part of the equation is dialing in the right amount of stress. And then the second part is to make sure that after stress, there's a period of rest and recovery. So what's fascinating is that the literature shows that both intellectual and artistic growth follows very much the same pattern. So in terms of intellectual growth, we tend to have breakthrough ideas in a three-step process. And the first step is what researchers call immersion, or when you really throw yourself into the work. This is when you're working on the proof at the whiteboard, you're drafting a memo, you're working on the PowerPoint deck, you're building the financial model. Then the second step is incubation, and this is when you step away. And the third step is insight or when you have the breakthrough. And on a daily level, this is why so many people report solving problems when they're in the shower or when they're on a walk or when they're just waking up. It's very rare that we actually have these kind of intellectual breakthroughs while we're doing the work. We tend to have them either during or immediately after a break. This is also why in academia, so many professors come back from sabbaticals or an extended break, and then they, they have their greatest periods of output and their most creative work. And then in terms of the arts, we see a very similar theme, that what tends to separate national and world-class musicians from those that fall just short is the national and world-class musicians, they tend to practice in blocks of 60 to 90 minutes, a very intense focus, followed by 15 to 30-minute breaks. And many times, they'll only do two blocks of practice a day. So just three to four hours of practice an entire day. But during those periods, they're very much physiologically and psychologically aroused. They report that the practice isn't really enjoyable because it's hard. They're challenging themselves, but then they take the rest very seriously. Um, and then the, it's interesting, this wasn't in the book, but going around and speaking on the book, something that a lot of people pointed out to me is this is also how relationships tend to grow. Whether it's a romantic relationship or just a really good friendship is that you tend to take on challenges together or endure periods of quote unquote stress. And then if all you're doing is taking on these challenges, eventually the relationship just completely falls apart. So you also have to have time to rest, reflect, and recover, and then the bonds get stronger. And if you never take on challenges in a relationship, the relationship gets stale or there's not really a good bond. So this, this principle of stress, some kind of challenge or stimulus at the right dose, followed by rest or recovery, it's really a universal first principle that applies to just about everything. Again, from making you know, the bicep muscle in your arm stronger, um, to deepening a relationship, to working on a book project. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's one thing I really appreciate about peak performances. You know, there's like you spoke about periodization. We can apply that to so many different aspects of our life, you know, through rest for recovery, like you mentioned with relationships. I think that's so important too. Um, so in elite performers, they take that concept of, of periodization or stress plus rest equals growth, and they, they apply it on super broad scales too. So they have different seasons of their life. And there might be a season of their life for two or three years where they're starting a business. And like, that's the thing that they're pushing on. And then they might have a season of a life where they're a new parent or they're starting a family. And then they titrate down the stress of starting a business and they titrate up over there. Uh, there might be a season of their life later on when they're really focused on running a fast marathon or deadlifting 700 pounds or what have you, whatever it is. So it's both on a micro sense, how you work throughout the day, 
And then it's also on a macro sense, how you think about the arc of your month, your year, and ideally your life. Because the theme is you get really complacent if you're not challenging yourself. But if you're challenging yourself in too many areas at the same time or without ever taking time to rest and recover, you burn out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and one thing that helped me a lot immensely, like we talked about rest and whatnot, but I want to talk physically about sleep too. Um, you put, you talk about a lot of different strategies in peak performance mm -hmm. um, and strategies to just improve overall sleep and quality of sleep. And a lot of, lot, like I said, a lot of those things and strategies helped me. And I think it'd help a lot of our listeners too. So if you want to kind of expand and, and talk about some of those different strategies that people can do to improve their sleep, that would be, be great too. All right. So the first, the first thing that I'll say is before any of the tactical strategies with my coaching clients, the most important thing is just having a mindset shift around sleep. So a lot of really driven pushers, they think that sleep is something that they are doing at expense of more work. So it's that stupid ass quote, like I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, I got to live life. I got to perform. So I'm, why would I sleep? Because I could be working more or spending more time with my family or doing whatever it is. But then it's inefficient. You know, yeah. Well, the biggest, the biggest, the biggest thing is to stop thinking of sleep as something that is separate from your performance or your work. And then start thinking of sleep as something that's an integral part of your job. So elite athletes are really good at this. You talk to elite athletes and they'll make sure that they're getting eight to 10 hours of sleep every night. And then they'll nap for two to three hours a day because they understand that it's during sleep that their body is recovering. And when we work with our minds and our brains, not our bodies, we tend to think that we can skimp on sleep, but that's completely false. So the research shows that very much like our bodies, our brains actually comb through, store, and connect all the information that we've been exposed to during the day when we sleep. So very much like an athlete will train really hard, and that's a stimulus to their body, but the testosterone and human growth hormones all that good stuff is only released in our sleep. Same thing's true for the brain. So we can expose ourselves to all kinds of intellectual or emotional stimulus throughout the day, but if we don't sleep, we don't really get the value of it. Um, so the first thing is just that shift, because if you don't sleep, think sleep is important, it doesn't matter what I say, you're not gonna do it. So once you start treating sleep as an integral part of your, your work, and again, it doesn't matter, oops, excuse me, it doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete, an executive, or just a new parent, and obviously it's hard to sleep for new parents, but sleep makes you better at whatever you do. So then in terms of actually some of the, the practices and tactics around sleep, well, the first thing that I like to say is all, all people are on a bell curve. So what I'm gonna talk about is what works for the average person. If you're currently sleeping between seven and nine hours a night, don't change a thing because like you're already there. And I know some people that can have an espresso before they go to bed and sleep fine. Most people can't. So again, what I'm going to say is for the average. Um, so I guess I'll start with that espresso. So trying to limit caffeine uh, in the afternoon is very, very helpful for a lot of people. So what that means in reality is you want to have your last cup of coffee or some other source of caffeine probably no later than 3 p.m. Another thing is don't fight sleep. So if you're tired at nine, but you think, oh, I'm an adult, I shouldn't go to bed at nine, I should go to bed at 11, go to bed at nine. You might only sleep till five, but you're likely to get those eight hours in a much higher quality than if you fight that first wave of sleep. You wanna to try to have a room as dark as possible. 
you want to try to keep the room relatively cool. Your body temperature likes to cool down at night. So if you can help facilitate that, it's better. You want to try to avoid alcohol. Um, so if you're going to have a drink and this is just good advice for basic health is you really want to limit that to one. If you're a bigger um, person, maybe two drinks at most, but if you're struggling to sleep, cutting out alcohol can help a lot. And then the last thing that I'll say is, is maybe the most important in this day and age, which is trying to just minimize screen time around sleep. Now, a lot of people talk about all like the tech bros and the biohackers talk about blue light right? And if you look at the screen, you get blue light and it messes up your sleep cycle and then you don't sleep. There's evidence to show that there's truth in that. I still think that the problem is less the blue light and more what we're doing on our screens. So I do not come from the school of screens are terrible. I will often watch a TV show with my wife right before bed and I have no problem falling asleep. I think it's more what we're doing on the screen. So if you're checking your work email or if you're scrolling through social media and getting yourself all worked up about what's happening in the world, that is not going to be good for your ability to fall asleep. Yeah, I totally you're watching a relaxing TV show that helps you kick back. Again, if you're not sleeping well, yeah, maybe it is actually the blue light. Toy around with cutting that out. But if you're sleeping fine, it's all right. So you could almost break that down into, is it the screen or is it what we're consuming on the screen that is making it harder to fall asleep? For sure. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I mean, I like the point that you talked about. I was like, don't fight sleep. Um, you know, and don't make their- too big of a deal about it. It's funny. You just asked me these tips. So another one of my favorite studies shows that people that get sleep trackers tend to sleep worse, not better because they become so obsessed about like getting the right amount of sleep and anxious that then they don't sleep well. So all those tactics I gave are helpful, but at the end of the day, like the, the simplest thing I could say is use your body during the day so it's tired. Don't get drunk. Don't drink coffee super late in the afternoon or after dinner and go to sleep when you're tired. Yeah, That's like that. 99% of it. Because what I don't want people to do is like go get blackout blinds, but then, you know, not do any of the other stuff. And then of course you're not going to sleep. So it's really about nailing the basics. Right. And then yeah. the, the last thing I'll say on this topic, because there's so many like sleep Nazis out there, is the first rule of sleep is to get enough sleep for sure. The second rule of sleep is if you don't get enough sleep, don't freak out about it. Because freaking out about it never helps. Like, all right, I didn't sleep well. I'm going to get on with my day. I'll be fine. And then I'll try again tomorrow night. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people get in their own heads about it. Like you mentioned with the sleep tracking, they get, they get so obsessed about their, their sleep and that gives them anxiety. And then when it comes to trying to fall asleep at night, their anxiety is so high that they're not right. able because they want to like hit their metric on their sleep tracker. Exactly. Um, exactly. Now that's not to say that there's not a time and a place. Sleep trackers can be helpful for some people. Again, this is like on average, if you're somebody that has been so chronically sleep deprived for such a long time that you don't even know what it feels like to be well rested, then yeah, like tracking sleep with a sleep tracker can be really helpful. But if you're going to use a sleep tracker because you tend to be an erotic person. And I, I tend to be like this. Like I don't use trackers because I know I like start getting obsessed about the numbers, then it's probably not a good idea. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that's awesome. Appreciate you sharing those, those tips. So it's so useful and it's really changed, truly really impacted my life, um, implementing those, um, those things. And the big thing is, like you said, stick to the basics, uh, for listeners out there, make sure you stick to the basics. There's nothing no, nothing fancy about it. Just stick with the basics and that's where you're going to make your biggest improvements. And tying it back to stress plus rest equals growth. It's like, so during the day, blocks of intense work followed by little breaks. Bridging days, sleep is the most important thing. 
bridging weeks, a day hike in nature, going to church, if that's your thing. Um, you know, before COVID, I would say like spending a day like at a museum, but doing something that turns your brain and body in a completely different direction than when you're accustomed to. And then bridging months and years, it's time for vacations where you can really step away from everything. And it's just repeating that cycle, stimulus, recovery, growth. For sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I want to kind of switch topics here because I think you do a great job of this um, for speaking with you and seeing who you surround yourself with. Um, Because I know, like, how do you go about you? I think you do a great job of surrounding yourself with the, the best trainers, the best medical professionals. How do you go about finding these these professionals to help you in all these different realms? And how do you sort them out from great ones to not so great ones? And what do you look for specifically? And um, to add on to that, what should our uh, listeners be looking for um, when they're doing the same? Good question. So the first thing that I look for is necessary credentials, but credentials are not a be all and end all. <laughs> like they're necessary, but not sufficient. So if I want to strength train, I want someone that's a certified strength and conditioning coach. If I want physical therapy, I want someone that's a physical therapist. If I want healthcare, I want somebody that's an MD or a DO. If I've got a particular issue with my um, musculoskeletal system, maybe I want someone that's a chiropractor. So the first thing that I do is I say like, okay, what are, what are the credentials that are like get you in the door? But then what I don't do is just because you have credentials doesn't mean you know your stuff. I've met people in all those categories that are total wackadoos. Um, so then in terms of finding a good practitioner, I think referrals go a long way. So just word of mouth and asking people who knows their stuff. And then I also have something called a bullshit detector. And my bullshit detector is whenever somebody makes something super complex, I tend to run the other way. So if I go to a physical therapist or I go to a doctor and they're telling me about how proximal to the distal thing and we've got to work there and then we've got to take this supplement and then we've got to activate your mTOR by intermittent fasting and you know maybe we'll go on a psychedelic trip to calm your like okay like nope you don't know what you're talking about so really good practitioners they have all that knowledge up in their head but they make things very simple um so that's that's one thing in my bullshit tech detector i call it the complexification of everything Guru syndrome is another thing. So when someone is so confident, like, oh, I can totally fix this problem. Again, if your problem is like super basic, maybe, but good practitioners tend to be more curious and they tend to say like, huh, like here are three ways I'm thinking about this. Let's try way one first and see how it goes. So some level of humility, because generally really insecure people tend not to have much humility because they have to like completely overcompensate. And you see that a lot in health and fitness um, in terms of practitioners. And then the third big thing on my BS detector is if somebody's selling a whole bunch of stuff. So if you go into a chiropractor's office and they've got an entire supplement line that's going to treat everything from like your upset stomach to your back pain, look the other way. Um, so those are, those are kind of some of my, my eliminating factors. And then in terms of like the really positive things, as I said, I think referrals go a long way. Um, and then just your experience working with someone, you have to have a good bond with the practitioner that goes a long way in getting better. There's some studies that show that just as important is, so let me, let me step back. As long as the practitioner knows what they're doing, just as important as the method they use is your bond with them. So there are all kinds of ways to help somebody get better that are totally valid and legit, right? If we want to stick to the body, 
there is massage, there is active release therapy, there is traditional physical therapy, there is dry needling, um, there is chiropractic manipulation. And for certain types of disorders, all of those things can be effective. So it's less about the method and more about does the practitioner care and do you have a good rapport with them? Sure. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Because um, I think too, one thing you know to help that helps build rapport is being able to actually spend time with the practitioner. Uh, what I mean by that is sometimes you know um, chiropractors, physical therapists, acupuncturists, some sessions can be so short that you're really only spending maybe ten minutes with them. Yeah. And I know like traditional PT is you come in, you see a physical therapist for ten minutes, and the rest of the time is spent with an aid or an assistant, and you can't yeah. really build that rapport. Um, and get to know that practitioner. And same thing with like some chiropractors. Um, and I'm not bashing on chiropractors because there's good chiropractors and bad chiropractors, just like there's good physical therapists and bad uh, physical therapists. And, um, but sometimes when you go see a chiropractor, they just kind of crack your back and send you out the door. And I just don't, that's not, you know, the human body is super complex. That's not enough time. 10 minutes is not enough time to assess a human body and be able to build that rapport and give that patient that confidence that they can get back to, you know, X, Y, and Z, if they're trying to get back to running, if they're trying to get back to strength training. Um, I think time with practice insurance is also, also huge to tie on to, you know, um, what you said about building rapport and, and building that trust with the patient and uh, clinician relationship. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, and then Brad to kind of wrap up, I know you're busy and, and whatnot, but I just wanted to see, uh, what's your, what's your next, what's the next book that you're working on and, uh, the next project and, and uh, when will that be released? Thank you for asking. So it's, it's an exciting time. I just sold my next book a couple months ago. It is untitled still. So I'm hammering that out with uh, the publisher, but hopefully I'll have a title soon. And then it will likely come out early next fall. So perhaps August um, or September of, of 2021. And the topic is looking at success and how we define success and whether those definitions serve us or not. And then trying to cultivate this sense of groundedness or a real unwavering strength that can stand strong regardless of the weather that might come at us both professionally or personally. So the, the reason that I'm fascinated in this topic is seems like it's definitely a timeless problem, but it, it feels acutely timely as well. There's so much ephemeral in the culture, things that come and go and people get super worked up over something and you're super happy and then you're super down and you're performing your best and then you're burnt out. And um, I'm really interested in, well, how do you develop a solid base that can kind of see that stuff and smile at it, but stay grounded where you are to perform sustainably and to feel well sustainably? Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I was saying it's, uh, quality to anywhere close to peak performance. I'm definitely going to be picking up a copy myself. That's um, a better book. I've already written a draft. It really is. I feel like it's yeah. a great, I'm, I'm super proud of it. And I, I struggle to say that about things that I write. This is one of the, my wife will tell you, this is one of the first times I'm like, this is a good book. Cause normally I'll write something. It's a book. It's an article. I'm like, fuck, like people <laughs> don't read this. Um, but no, this is a good one. Yeah. No, I mean, based on everything that you know, the reason that we started this podcast is to help people with just general health and wellness and how to find the reputable help they need. And I think peak performance is really, in a nutshell, everything that we 
speak about and what we value and um, what can be really beneficial for our listeners. So for you listening, for those that are listening, I highly encourage you guys to pick up, pick up that book and, and uh, um, give it a read because there's so much valuable, valuable stuff um, there as well. So um, Love it. Yeah, and then it. also I've got a newsletter called um, the growth equation and it's a little like multimedia platform. So there's a podcast on there um, that I put out weekly and that is at www.thegrowtheq.com. And that's a good place too, just to stay abreast of the, the things that I'm working on along with my creative partner. Um, yeah, so it's a good place to go. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then um, also, because you do, you, you do some coaching as well. Um, somebody's interested in like working with you or learning more about you. Um, what's the best way uh, that they can reach uh, reach you as well? And then for those that are listening to, I'll be putting this in the podcast notes um, as well. So you don't like try and memorize this or write it down. You can go into the <laughs> podcast notes and, and it'll be in there as well. But yeah, Brad, if you can kind of just share where, where people can find you most easily and, and how to reach out to you, that would be awesome. For sure. So I, the, I use one social media platform for better or worse, and, and that is Twitter. And on Twitter, I am at B Stahlberg, just like my name. And then um, my personal website, is www.bradstalberg just like my name.com and there's there's information on all my stuff there and actually through my personal website you can link to that uh health and wellness media platform so it's all bundled together okay awesome awesome thanks for sharing that brad um but yeah i know you're busy and uh we'll let you go um but i really appreciate your time brad um and sharing the wealth of knowledge that that you have and and I know our listeners got tons of valuable information out of that too. So appreciate your time and thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you, Ben and Mike. Uh, thanks for doing this. I'm really, I'm really excited about this venture that yeah, you guys got. Fred. Nice to meet you. And thank you. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Active Oakland podcast and we will catch you next time. If you want to find out more about our guests and want to find out more about how to live a healthy and active lifestyle, then head over to ProKineticsRehab.com to learn more.